Hello and welcome to Scriptcast episode 18. Uh, today I'm joined by Andre Staltz, uh, who is basically the person who taught you everything about RxJS, who told me that observables, observables are basically fruit sticks, and who told me that the user is nothing but a function, and all his great ideas and concepts just went into my whole development workflow and development life. So I'm super happy that André joins us today. Very welcome, André. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, glad to be here on this podcast. So I want to chat with you about a very particular topic today, uh, mm. namely how to build your own internet. And uh, it's, it's a great tagline and a very scary mm. one at that. So how can we build our own internet? What is the internet? And I guess it started shortly after we met uh, at Script 18 when you were at Geneva. Yeah. You gave a TED talk there. Yeah. So um, I, that TED talk was for, let's say, non-technical people. Uh, I tried to keep it really non-technical. Um, and you need to sort of use these terms that are more relatable, like let's build our own internet. And what does that actually mean is that basically people are, can create their own networks. And of course, the Internet is a network of networks. So, I mean, I basically some time ago, let's say a year or more than a year ago, I started finding some interesting projects on GitHub. Um, and one of them was called Scuttlebutt. The other one was called CJDNS. And they had very different sort of ideas that I, for me, that was really new. Um, and it's it's such that uh, they build software that works uh, for local area networks uh, and they expand if those local area networks become like larger let's say like a regional network and they would work pretty well in the so-called community network which was like also a new idea for me so i started uh, looking for for these kind of things and i mean there's so much going on um one of, let's say one of the examples is in New York called NYC Mesh. Uh, they are building like a huge city Wi-Fi, you can think of it. So that's, um, uh, and even though it's like one Wi-Fi, it's actually many small networks. So they have a couple of like bigger nodes and that kind of stuff. So it's, and it's by the people, like normal citizens are, you know, going to rooftops and putting up routers and mm -hmm. antennas and they're building like a big city Wi-Fi. Um, and that Wi-Fi is, of course, uh, connected to the Internet. But if it so happens to be that, let's say, at some point, I don't know, sharks bite the cables or something, <laughs> then, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a possibility just like, you know, meteors could fall in, on our heads. I mean, just hypothetically. In case they, they run out of Internet, the software that works inside that Wi-Fi could still work. Um, so, like, local area network driven software would work and they're not the only one i mean there's even a bigger one in uh spain the north of spain called wifi net which is pretty big and it spans many cities mm -hmm. not just one city and in latin america there are a couple of these uh one of them is called altered mundi Al mm -hmm. Alter mundi i think in spanish is the name and it's uh in argentina i think and there's like a bunch of projects related to this. But overall, the the thing is that people are 
sort of uh, becoming more independent when it comes to digital mm. and, and connectivity that and that kind of stuff. kind of reminds me of how the internet started when it was just universities connected to each other or military connected to each other. It was just small yeah. bits and pieces that got linked up to, to another. Yeah, and, and um, yeah, I mean, for instance, the web itself was built uh, in the sort of academic environment in Switzerland, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and I mean, the internet started as like uh, an, an agreement, right? People had isolated uh, sort of networks around the world and they just made an agreement. Hey, what if we stretch this cable that will connect my network to your network and then we can do that kind of thing. But I think... Uh, the necessity for sort of building this kind of thing by the citizens is that quite often, I mean, lately us citizens are being sort of abused in our rights and privacy and uh, all these kind of things, sometimes by companies, sometimes by governments. Mm. And it would be nice to just be independent in that sense. All right. So um, this whole... Uh, uh self-made internet that's the physical part mostly so it's it's as yeah. you said people wiring up to each other creating wi-fi routers connecting to each other but there's also um, a software part to it um, and one where you jumped in i guess if i'm yeah. not mistaken the whole mysterium of scuttlebutt uh, which is the medium where we met <laughs> actually when i was looking yeah. out for you for <laughs> script 18 this one client that True. i never closed to this day just in case that I ever need to reach out to you again and you don't <laughs> reach me via, me via email. So what is what is Cuddlebutt all about? How does it connect to the idea of your self-made internet? Yeah, so um, because I'm not a hardware person and because I'm not like physically close to these people building this kind of community networks um, and I'm a mostly software guy, so I, I thought about doing something or joining something that's doing uh, this kind of work. Most of the software that we use nowadays is basically online first or it requires internet. So any software that you open, which will show you some kind of sad smiley saying that you're <laughs> not connected to the internet, that's usually like an online first approach. Mm -hmm. So it means also you can't use it on the airplane. And for instance, right now, as we speak, I think GitHub is down uh, just to just to mention it's uh, 22 of october i don't know when people will be listening this podcast but it's it's down right now and you know that kind of stuff so uh, it's a pretty hard requirement to say that we need internet and fast uh all the time that you want to use this app i mean that's a very big requirement it's a very very big assumption uh, and it assumes like all kinds of things that, you know, disasters won't happen. People won't abuse their powers or you are not in a plane and that kind of thing. So uh, most of the software built before the Internet was, of course, offline first. I mean, that's just like a very obvious thing. But um, so this new trend of building offline first software is actually an old trend. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a very old trend. It's just basically saying, let's just make normal software uh, and if there's internet, then mm -hmm. let's sort of let that software uh, work even better. It, it reminds me of the news group days where um, I would just enter the internet for just a short amount of time, download all those yeah. news group messages uh, from a news group server onto my client, into my email program, go off the internet yeah. again and read for a day. 
write all my answers yeah. and then send them again to the yeah and so you basically just explained <laughs> oh cool <laughs> i mean you you asked me to explain it but you explained it yourself in the sense that it's so it's a social protocol and it's a social network protocol um just like email is a protocol or let's say rss and it's a protocol not a software and then there's software for that protocol one of the softwares is like uh, called patchwork for uh, desktop that's what you had on your computer mm-hmm. i also have it open on mine and uh i'm i'm building a mobile app called miniverse i'll get to talk to, talk about that later but um so these softwares i mean they they store locally in the database um all of the posts and comments by all of your friends uh in that network and once you're online you connect to either uh, your friends directly online or to some servers that some friends own and you download the latest updates so it's pretty like uh, each person has like a linear log of everything that they said and posted and liked and so you just like update that log so you basically let me download the latest 10 things that my friend said and i'll just keep a copy of what they said on my computer so i mean it's very simple in that sense i mean of course there's some additional details with like how cryptography works to sign the messages and all this kind of stuff and how the actual replication goes but as as i said i mean it's what you said um pretty simple <laughs> yeah so is it possible that people from different servers connect to each other people from different servers so uh, i wouldn't call it like that so for instance um the servers we have on on the internet now they are owned by someone in the community let's say you know let's imagine some friend imaginary friend called bob and i would connect to bob's server because i'm 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 friend with bob so if i wouldn't be bob's friend i wouldn't know his server i wouldn't know the invite code and i couldn't connect to his server so uh because so then his server might have all of bob's friends data so once i connect to that server i'm gonna get all of the friend uh, all of the data from bob and his friends so i'm sort of gonna be connected to his friends as well but you can think of it as like downloading data from acquaintances Mm -hmm. and uh, friends of friends so that's Mm -hmm. the usual Mm -hmm. span of like how much data you're gonna get Mm -hmm. is usually uh, the person you're connecting to plus their friends Mm -hmm. and it creates this nice sort of like village feeling to it it kind of feels like a village um and it's very different to let's say you know uh centralized uh, social networks because on on those services you can connect to a bunch of uh, strangers and that's not the case here you're always connecting to some friend or acquaintance okay now i get it because Mm. i was usually uh uh, comparing it to mastodon i'm sure you've heard about Mm. that like the yeah. The decentralized yet centralized uh, Twitter alternative or social network alternative. Yeah. And there you have to connect to a server, but servers are able to connect to each other. That's how you get everything uh, um, yeah. from from all the other people. But um, that's, that's a whole different setup. It's more that you let people into your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Mastodon is is different. It's it's uh I would I would call it online first because if you're mm-hmm. offline then you don't have access. It's essentially your data is on that server only. 
as far as I know. So then you need to connect to that server and interact with your data on that server. So it doesn't have this idea of a local database where mm -hmm. you update your local database. Um, of course, one of the upsides is that you're not going to have a lot of data on your computer. So it's like it's mm -hmm. a lighter experience. So actually, one of the things with Scuttlebutt is that once you join it, you're going to start like a sort of like a download mm -hmm. party where you start downloading all of this data. And after you have a lot of data from your friends, then updating it is very easy. But the initial process takes more time. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of the initial process, um, back then when I when I started to, to use Scuttlebutt, mm. I found it uh, rather mysterious to even get started. There's a lot of verbs, nouns that you have to learn, some software that you have to install, some huge codes that you have to insert into text boxes. Um, what's mm. the easiest way to get started with Scuttlebutt other than, you know, me digging up files on the internet? Yeah, so it's a very different process, but I wouldn't call it like larger process. If you think of your typical process of joining uh, any kind of service, you know, you have some sign up button and then with the sign up, you have name, last name, username, mm. email, password, and then you sign up and then you get an email, you click the email, you go back. So none of that is in Scuttlebutt because, of course, it's offline first. So you open it like a very old-fashioned software. So, of course, you have to install a software, and then you open that software, and that's it. There's no emails to put or user e name or, or password because it's just a software that has a local database. So once people do that, they're going to be very sort of lonely because, of <laughs> course, it's a social network that has literally no one um, because it's on your computer. I mean, yeah. you're right. You just started. So it's like empty. And some people feel like, wow, there's no one on this network. Right. Uh, but that's the it's a, it's a different sort of intuition to build. But it's very logical once people get it is that um, the social network is out there in people's computers. So it's not on some place in the clouds that you need to sort of register mm -hmm. and get data from. So what you need to do is basically ask for an invite from someone that you know that has Scuttlebutt on their computer. And then you want to get connected to their computer, right? So it's like, I want to download the data that's on your computer so we can be friends. And this uh, process of getting an invite code, uh, I mean, it can happen between any two persons there's no like place where you go to get the invite codes i mean of course we have a couple of these places where to get invite codes um if people are nice enough to give those invite codes but essentially you need to get some uh if you want to get data from other people you need to find that uh invite code so for instance uh, the servers that people can set up those uh will generate this invite code and then if you manage to get a hold of one of those then you can input it into the software it says it, these are usually called pubs these servers and then you put that in the in the text field and then it will begin to connect to that server and download a lot of data and then starts this process called the initial sync which depending on the server may download uh, 200 megabytes or mm. 500 megabytes it depends mm -hmm. um, so one of the easiest ways I would actually recommend is that people do it uh, together. Like, let's say in a meetup or in a conference, uh, you can everybody can install the software on the computers. And once they join the same Wi-Fi, 
those computers will see each other mm-hmm. and they will be able to like share their data. So then it's like a very easy way of getting started and you don't need to sort of worry about invite codes at all. Everything you tell me kind of reminds me of how we checked on telephone numbers back in the day. You had a register, a oh, telephone yeah. book. Mm. Everybody had their telephone installed uh, uh, with them. And when you called somebody, there was just this, this one person connecting people to each other. And then it was just mm. the two of them talking to each other. So the whole analogy of, of villages, cities, and having having just a telephone in your apartment, I guess describes mm. it really, really good. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, actually, I mean, that would be really good if we had, let's say, public IP addresses mm-hmm. for all of the computers. Because then you literally we, would we have... We tried back then. <laughs> yeah, you, you would have basically a phone number for yeah. your computer, right? And then it's easy. I just know Stefan's IP address. I just put it in the box and I connect mm-hmm. to him. So that's that was the promise of the internet. And we didn't get that because... Um, we had to do network address translations because there wasn't that many uh, addresses on the internet. And um, so unfortunately, like we're in a world where doing that directly is, is a bit annoying because mm. the world, the internet evolved in a weird way. And even though IP version six came out, I mean, it's not being deployed mm. consistently and reliably mm. for these apps to use, but yeah, I mean, that would be the promise. Mm. So, One of the things I've been building is uh, a way of getting around that using uh, a thing called a distributed hash table. Um, But it's kind of work in progress and it works sometimes on on the mobile app that I've been, uh, that I'm building called called Miniverse. And yeah, I mean, I'm currently working on getting it better, (laughs) but sometimes (laughs) it works so that you wouldn't sort of like, Share, you create an invite code in the app, you share that with a friend, and then you start um, uh, synchronizing. Uh, so the, the app is called Manyverse, and it's a Scuttlebutt client uh, to make it easier for people to connect to that network. So um, you promised that Manyverse will be free of ads, free of charge, free forever, and free to use for all time. How do you manage to work on that app and promise all that? Yeah, um, so Miniverse is a mobile app, pretty simply. Um, it's a Scuttlebutt, a Scuttlebutt app, so I'm not, I'm not mentioning Scuttlebutt so obviously, uh, but it is definitely a Scuttlebutt app. Uh, and it, it is free in the sense of G, GPL, licensed, and... Uh, it's kind of like, let's say, GIMP or VLC or Linux in the sense that, of course, you can use these things forever and they're they're not uh, productized as some commercial product. Um, and that's, that's my hope. I mean, I think that if we want to have the next sort of social network, um, we need to do it GPL or absolutely free because there's no there's no way that we could i mean if we if we do it anyhow like a commercial product they will eventually end up like facebook mm. too i mean there's no point in doing something different and also for all of the reasons of like uh decentralization and going offline and reaching people with um with uh not reliable internet 
it's just the only way that we can do it. So I thought, okay, well, someone needs to do this, right? Someone needs to build a social network app that is absolutely not um, commercialized. And I like that kind of thing. <laughs> and how, how am I going to support myself? That's a good question. But um, I, I do believe in donations and I do believe that people are generous and especially given that this is such a big problem, right? This is a problem that affects all of the people uh, because everybody communicates. So I'm just hoping that out of all of the people, a very small percentage of those wants to uh, donate and, and be generous. And then with enough money, hopefully we can uh, keep on building this. So I have um, an open collective for the, the mobile app. And I put myself like a target of a quite humble uh, salary compared to, let's say, Silicon Valley salaries. Mm. And I mean, that's it. So if I, if that goal is reached, then I'll be working on this full time. If not, then I'll be working on it part time and let's see how far we can go. But mm. since it's open source, I mean, sometimes in open source projects, um, let's say one maintainer leaves. But if the project is still quite popular, another maintainer can pick up. And that's sometimes done even quite smoothly so that there's no problem. So I don't think it's going to die. And I think it's something that someone needs to do. It just hasn't been done yet. So that's that's mm -hmm. where I'm, what I'm trying to do. How much of your time do you spend right now working on Maniverse? So right now I'm, I'm quite um, in, a, in a good situation that uh, I did some freelancing gigs and some workshops that I'm able to sustain myself for the time being. I mean, of course, I don't know that much how next year is going to be. Um, but right now, I, I'd say something around more than 50%, I'd say, of my time goes to building this. Um, it varies with the month if I'm doing some consulting work or not. But yeah, I'd say a very substantial amount of my time is, is dedicated to this. <laughs> And I wanted to make it 100%, but let's see. Cool. So um, with all uh, the trend um, going into private networks again, like reliving uh, all those old technologies we had back in the 90s, trying mm. to, to create information exchange without any uh, government surveillance or companies selling our data, um, mm. what do you think? Where does this come from? So it it just happened that in the last couple of years, this topic has much, much more traction than it had before. Yeah, well, I think um, some things are inevitable. Um, they are inevitable, in, in, like, like as a, if you look from like a systems perspective, if such thing is built, it will be inevitable that it will grow into uh, a dystopian machine. So... Um, I think that things like Google and Facebook, I mean, they were they were sort of like destined to become what they are today mm -hmm. because of how they were built. I mean, it's just they are ad machines, so they will uh, they are pressured by stock prices and, and the and the business world to produce more money this year than last year for all of the years coming to the future. And they need to like constantly get out more from us. So at some point, like, uh, like they're optimizing for one thing. And of course, at some point, 
if they want to optimize that goal even further, they will have to compromise on other things. It's just a basic consequence of, of those choices. So then they gradually start compromising on other things like privacy or, um, you know, like psychology. So the impact that they've been having on our psychology and addiction and politics. I mean, they're compromising on those things because, of course, they need to keep this money machine growing. So I think it's it's like it's just it was bound to happen, given that they, they were building what they were building. Um, and but it's it's not like that bad. I don't think I don't think they're going to last forever. You know, mm. rarely do these things last forever. <laughs> I think. Yeah, actually, like, for instance, one of the things that I actually think that happened is uh, Linux is very good as a desktop environment. Mm. I mean, I, I followed the, the whole thing since 2006, and I remember Ubuntu being very difficult to oh, use yeah. as a normal computing environment. And that, like, has changed a lot. So, And then if you think of things like, you know, uh, Microsoft Office or spreadsheets, I mean... Um, Except for the formats of the files, which are sometimes required by some schools or something. I mean, LibreOffice with spreadsheets can do everything that I need. So I think at some point people will identify these use cases such as, you know, spreadsheets or desktop environments. And they will uh, they will basically sort of like build a, an open source version of those and you know, sort of like the, the innovation period where companies sort of race towards doing that thing and discovering that thing is important. But after a, a, a certain amount of time, I think most of the things can be easily open sourced or built like as an alternative. And then and then we can sort of uh, use those. So I think um, open source tends to like once you build it, then that's it. You don't need to use anything else proprietary you know mm -hmm. so it's 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 difficult once you have something very good open source to make something proprietary right it's it's difficult to do that switch so i think i think we we have good chances i mean mastodon is already kind of like an open source alternative to twitter and things like that and i just mentioned LibreOffice and others so i think these things um stay of course because Open source doesn't have this problem that, let's say, Google decides to discontinue some product. I mean, that's not going to happen with open source. So it tends to stick, um, stay longer, you know, it lives longer. All right. So do you mm -hmm. think Scuttlebutt will hit the mainstream or does it have to? Um, I think it it can. I think that's 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 a good answer. It can. Um there's a lot of things that we need to still fix or build and improve and this kind of thing. So we have we have a lot of discussions on the network of how to improve the protocol. Um, seriously, almost every day <laughs> there's something new. And we're like, it's currently implemented in Node.js, but we're moving it to Rust. Mm -hmm. And I think Scuttlebutt is like, like if you, it's, it's not just the technology. It's also a very interesting community. It's a, it's a very interesting community of people who are, uh, some of them are off-grid, some of them describe themselves as solar punks, some of them are uh, like communist anarchists, it's hard to <laughs> say exactly what they are, um, but they're very interesting folks, and I think like 
I think also the world will need these kind of people more because, um, well, this is a slightly different topic, uh, but because of like uh, climate change. Mm. And I think that um, our, our, our ways of living are not sustainable, yep. especially in the developed world. And there's a lot of talk about how do we like exit the, the developed world's sort of like uh, impact on ecology. It has a lot to do with consumerism. And so we have a lot of people in this network talking about, you know, how can we live with less? How can we exit? And how can we live like on our own homes? And I mean, Dominic, who created the, the protocol, lives on a boat. <laughs> so these people are very forward thinking. And I think... Um, I think this this kind of thing that they're going towards is very early and a lot of people don't see the need of like reducing their uh, ecological impact. I mean, of course, you can change the lamps from like less ecological to more ecological, but that really doesn't make a big difference. I mean, it's really the big decisions like, you know, not having a mm -hmm. car or or much more radical things that make a big difference. So as we speed up towards this world where climate will be pretty much um, impact, you know, if we feel it already. Um, this it's, this the last yeah. couple of months were crazy, and continue to be be crazy. So this will going to yeah. hit us if 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 not those forward thinking people go mainstream. Climate change is going to be mainstream, and that's not good for all of us. <laughs> Yeah, so I think um, what Scuttlebutt is doing is not just uh, technical, it's also cultural. And um, we, we talk a lot about these things, basically the social, technical mm -hmm. aspect of all of these things. And one of the things that people will notice is that it's not just a decentralized protocol for the same kind of social networks. It's essentially like a very different social network. Uh, first of all, you need to be invited. You can't just, uh, you know, create an account and go and talk to people. Um, second of all, um, like we, we're not focused on this sort of dopamine hit stuff. Mm. So let's say all this kind of like, so for instance, there's no reposts or retweets. Um, it's, it's a very different place and it's very interesting. Actually, people tend to come and really appreciate the community <laughs> and, and feel, feel something different, you know, like yeah, it feels like the internet of, um, 1990 something, yeah. you know? Oh, I guess I'm going Very to like sort of. it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. This just sounds like like what I <laughs> I long for <laughs> for a long, yeah. long time. And I think one of the things, um, one of the social technical aspects of of uh, Scuttlebutt that makes it um, different is that because my computer is hosting, it literally has to have data from multiple people. So one of the first questions that people have is like, isn't it a downside of, of Scuttlebutt that I can't like host a lot of, I mean, that my storage is limited, right? And it's a downside, but it's also an upside because it means that you have to choose mm -hmm. carefully. Who, who do you want to include in your computer? So um, people will tend to prefer people that respect other people's storage. Let's say, you know, it's actually possible that one of my friends just... Um, posts like a stream of uh, random data and it sort of explodes my computer you know that kind of thing is uh, technically possible unless I have a software that mm. sort of detects that and stops that so there has to be this kind of um, people have to develop um, respect for other people's storage so for instance 
Um, I'm not going to try to post very large images or videos because I know that's probably going to blow up someone's computer. Um, or they would just block me and I wouldn't mm -hmm. interact with them anymore. So there's this interesting sense that, you know, our planet is actually also finite, right? So we can't just like keep on using resources as if it would be infinite. And I think the same kind of thinking is also in Scuttlebutt, where we acknowledge that like people's storage is actually limited. So instead of like trying to just push that limit towards infinite or come up with some kind of very fancy uh, solutions for that, we take like a more humane approach, which is let's just respect their, their limited storage. Um, which turns out to be a really good uh, thing for community. People are more nice, you would say. Mm -hmm. Very good. So, André, thank you very much for all your insights. That sounds like a big project, like a very promising project. Uh, people can support you on Open Collective. Is there any other way they can help you moving your sure, idea I mean, forward? If you just go to the Manyverse website, then everything is there how to do that. And I think I chose the name very uh, wisely so that it's easy to search mm -hmm. on the web so just write many verse and you're probably going to find it very good all right so andre thank you very much for being with me it was a pleasure talking to you again i hope we see each other in the future maybe at cycleconf maybe at some other place yeah. it would be great great thank you Stephen, for uh, inviting me and i hope this is also infor informative absolutely it was a wonderful wonderful mm -hmm. talk and i really look forward to the full episode all right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And...